0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Yaktalk Talk, Hacking the Boards. I'm Ben.
1: And I'm Yaakov.
0: And welcome back to our three-part series on angina and acute coronary syndromes. We already covered stable and unstable angina in the last episode, so we're ready to dive into some cases on infarctions. Today, we'll be going over differentiation and management of the various causes of acute coronary syndrome. Yaakov, take us away.
1: Great. So Ben, let's say we have a 56-year-old male with a 15-pack-year smoking history, hyperlipidemia, and diabetes, and he was awoken by chest pain, left arm numbness, and sweating. Vitals are normal. Exam reveals an anxious diaphoretic patient, but is otherwise normal. EKG shows ST depressions and T-wave inversions, and his troponin levels are elevated. With all of that information, what is our differential here?
0: So I'm thinking between unstable angina versus a non-ST elevation myocardial infarction, aka an n because the pain is happening at rest, but there's no ST elevations, which would only be seen in a ST elevation MI, aka a STEMI.
1: Perfect. So what is an NSTEMI, and what makes it different from unstable angina?
0: An N-STEMI is when a thrombus forms on top of a plaque leading to myocardial tissue death from a large but less than 100% occlusion. The tissue death, AKA infarction, is not transmural, meaning it only involves the innermost layers of the myocardium. In unstable angina, a thrombus forms on top of the plaque, but no infarction occurs.
1: Great. And what's the presumed diagnosis for our patient?
0: This would be an NSTEMI.
1: Nice. So, how can you tell that this is an NSTEMI and not unstable angina?
0: There's really only one differentiating factor, since both unstable angina and an NSTEMI can show ST depressions or T wave inversions, the classic signs of ischemia on an EKG. In unstable angina, you will not see elevated troponins, since troponin is a marker of cardiac tissue damage or death, and there's no infarction. Because the troponin is elevated in our patient, this patient has an NSTEMI.
1: That's a great explanation. So what's the big difference in treatment for unstable angina versus NSTEMI?
0: Oh, Yakov, you sneaky guy. This is a trick question because there is no difference. Unstable angina and NSTEMI are both treated the same. And you can remember how they're treated with the classic mnemonic, Mona C-Bash. So that is M for morphine, O for oxygen, N for nitroglycerin, A for aspirin, C for clopidogrel. B for beta blocker, A for ACE inhibitor, S for statin, and H for heparin. You won't always give all of these, but it's a good guideline for exams. Beautiful. So let's get into some of these uh, treatments you mentioned.
1: What is the mechanism of action of clopidogrel?
0: Clopidogrel is a P2Y12 inhibitor and prevents further clot formation by blocking platelet activation.
1: Nice. That's a great step one throwback right there when would we absolutely avoid nitroglycerin and why?
0: We would avoid nitroglycerin in a right-sided myocardial infarction. Since nitro decreases preload and the patient needs as much preload as possible in a right MI, we're going to get back to that later this episode, actually.
1: We absolutely will. Ben, what's the pathophysiology behind using nitroglycerin and beta blockers?
0: actually pretty similar to why they're used in stable angina, which we mentioned in the last episode. Test writers want you to know that beta blockers, one, prevent ventricular arrhythmias, and two, decrease oxygen demand primarily by decreasing contractility and heart rate, not via decreasing afterload. For nitroglycerin, they want you to know that it decreases O2 demand by vasodilation and decreasing preload, not via coronary artery dilation. Great. And
1: what's the other aspect of unstable angina or NSTEMI treatment that is separate from Mona C BASH?
0: For these patients, we'll want to get a cardiac catheterization to see which arteries are occluded and therefore should be stented to keep them patent. So, catheterization for our patient who has an NSTEMI or a patient with unstable angina for that matter is quote urgent but not emergent as the classic treatment plan.
1: Perfect. Let's get into another more intense acute coronary syndrome case. Ben, take it away.
0: So now we have a 65-year-old male who enjoys lard for breakfast and is coming in with chest pain and shortness of breath that began suddenly. The pain radiates to the left arm and is not relieved by rest or nitroglycerin. He has normal blood pressure and heart rate, but he's sitting at 88% on room air and his respiratory rate is 32 Exam shows an anxious, diaphoretic man in acute distress with tachycardia and decreased lung sounds bilaterally. EKG shows ST elevation in leads V1 through V4. What's the diagnosis here?
1: So, Ben, this sounds like a slam dunk ST elevation myocardial infarction or STEMI.
0: What is a STEMI, and how do you know that that's the diagnosis?
1: A STEMI is the worst of the acute coronary syndromes because it's characterized by a 100% occlusion of a coronary artery with resulting transmural infarction. This is manifested by ST elevations on EKG, which indicate complete occlusion and cell death.
0: Can you tell what part of the heart is affected, affected based on the leads?
1: Yes. So with ST elevations, you can always localize the damaged area, unlike with T-wave inversions, which aren't always that specific to location. Since in this case, leads V1 through V4 have the ST elevations, we know that this is an anterolateral MI, meaning the left anterior descending artery is affected, and thus the
0: left ventricle
1: will be the site of injury.
0: What's the other group of leads that would indicate a
1: left-sided lesion? So if you also see ST elevations in leads 1, AVL, V5, and V6, that would correspond to a STEMI in the lateral circulation, which is comprised of both the left circumflex and the LAD. Note, these are rarely tested because the circulation varies.
0: Now that we've covered some EKG basics, can you walk us through our patient's vital signs?
1: Perfect. So if you'll recall, the patient had normal blood pressure and heart rate. That tells us that he is not in cardiogenic shock and that he's hemodynamically stable. His oxygen saturation is decreased, which is likely from fluid backup into the lungs, which could also explain his tachypnea along with his anxiety and pain.
0: What is flash pulmonary edema, and why might this patient have that?
1: So flash pulmonary edema is sudden onset of fluid congestion in the lungs, resulting in acute hypoxic respiratory failure. This patient likely has it because a left-sided STEMI will prevent the left ventricle from pumping blood forward. So naturally, blood will back up into the pulmonary circulation, and because of those increased hydrostatic pressures, the fluid will be forced into the lungs. This would also explain the decreased breath
0: sounds there's nothing like some good old starling forces to really get you thinking about pathophysiology. What treatment should he receive initially?
1: So initially he should receive Mona C. Bash or some variation of it. And specifically we should put him on four liters of oxygen for his hypoxia.
0: Let's say we get a STAT chest X-ray which shows severe pulmonary edema. What additional medication should be added? And are there any medications that would be contraindicated?
1: We would definitely want to add furosemide to diurese the patient, and what we mean by that is decrease circulating fluid by making the patient urinate it out. Beta blockers are the meds that are contraindicated in pulmonary edema, since we want the heart to be contracting as strong as possible to push fluid forward, and beta blockers, as we know, would decrease contractility.
0: So with that in mind, what is the definitive treatment for this patient's STEMI, and what is the goal behind that intervention?
1: So, the definitive treatment for their STEMI would be emergent percutaneous coronary intervention, AKA PCI, AKA cardiac catheterization, with stenting of the affected artery or arteries.
0: And what's the timeline for PCI?
1: PCI should be initiated 90 minutes from first medical contact if they're at a capable hospital, or 120 minutes if the patient was transported to a PCI capable hospital.
0: Let's say all the hospitals in the area have only a thrombolytic available and no cath lab. What's the rule in terms of the timing then?
1: So if transit time to the nearest cath lab is greater than or equal to 60 minutes, you should just give TPA and keep them there. In other words, don't transport. The answer on the test in this case would be a drug ending in "place," such as alteplase, or sometimes you'll see streptokinase.
0: With that, let's move on to our last case on acute infarction.
1: All right, so now we have a 60-year-old man with nausea and vomiting, chest pain, and a 15-pack-year smoking history who comes in with hypotension to 80 over 50 and bradycardia to 50 beats per minute. First off, what's the next best test to make the diagnosis here?
0: Let's get an EKG, Yaakov.
1: Perfect. And before you even see the results of that EKG, what hints at the location of the cardiac injury that's most likely
0: happening? So chest pain, new bradycardia, and hypotension all point towards a right-sided MI. The SA node is the pacemaker of the heart and is usually supplied by the right coronary artery or the RCA. So if the RCA is blocked, then the SA node loses perfusion and heart rate slows down. Hypotension can be seen in either left or right MI since left MI can cause cardiogenic shock, but it's actually more common to see hypotension in right-sided STEMI.
1: Great. Now we can check out the results. Let's say the EKG shows ST elevations in leads 2, 3, and AVF. In that case, which artery is occluded?
0: Sounds like this is infarction in the inferior region, which they absolutely love to test on by indicating leads 2, 3, and AVF. This region is supplied by the RCA, and the right ventricle is the most affected.
1: Perfect. What are some pertinent positives and negatives that you'd expect on this patient's physical exam?
0: So you would expect jugular venous distension, or JVD, as well as lower extremity edema and possible hepatic congestion, all because blood is backed up in the systemic circulation since the right ventricle can't push it forward. You would not expect pulmonary edema since the left ventricle is working fine and can push any blood forward that gets as far as the left ventricle.
1: That's a great explanation. How would your hemodynamic findings change in this MI, the right-sided MI, compared to a left-sided MI?
0: So like in a left MI, systemic vascular resistance, which basically measures afterload, will be increased as a reaction to maintain perfusion when there's less blood circulating. Central venous pressure, which measures right ventricular preload, will also be increased because blood is backed up in the venous system. This is also the same in a left MI. On the other hand, in a right-sided MI, Left ventricular end diastolic pressure, which represents left ventricular preload, will be decreased like we mentioned before. Perfect. How
1: might next steps in management differ for this patient?
0: We would avoid nitroglycerin because we don't want to vasodilate and decrease preload even more than is already the case. We could actually give IV fluids to increase preload, which we would never do in a left sided MI. And finally, if we had an unclear EKG, but were concerned about a right-sided MI, you could consider a right-sided precordial EKG. What a great review of a horrible condition. So tune in next time
1: for part three of three in our series on angina and ACS, where we'll specifically talk about post-MI complications. Thanks so much for tuning in.